Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick, and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Please go to Apple Podcasts, though, and subscribe to the show, rate and review the show. Give us a five-star review. We'll read your review on, on the podcast. And then patreon.com slash critics pod is the best way to help support the podcast. We have several bonus episodes up there where we talk about music. We have a commentary track where Sean and Jeff uh, did Friday the 13th. And then there's more of those to come and just get yourself a credit on the show. And it helps support us to do, do our black Christmas uh, screening at the end of the year. Uh, and then what else do I got left? T public. Uh, head over to IHateCritics.net, click on the T Public link on the upper right-hand corner, or search Critics Pod at T Public. Sean has another shirt that's super creative that we can't sell, but it's going to be great. I can't wait to make it and <laughs> sell it. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it now or save it for another time? I, I got to save it because that episode of the 93 ah, podcast right. hasn't dropped yet, but it, it will. We're talking about the crush. So. We're the kings of shirts you'll never wear but are pretty funny. But of course, Jeff, I'll get you the design because, of course, you know, that's that's your. <laughs> and I'll get you the money. <laughs> I like money. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sean, where can people read your reviews? It's uh, on vocal.media, uh, geeks.media, horror.media as well. Uh, this week, I've nothing, nothing really, nothing really out there this week. I just wrote about the movies we're talking about. I wrote about I wrote a. 1400 word essay on on the lost weekend and uh of course a review of dungeons and dragons and jeff where can people read your or not read your see your art <laughs> purchase your art uh jefflaster.com how was golden con it was productive uh exhausting i walked more steps from thursday through sunday than i did all the last two weeks not combined, but like it was Jesus. It was exhausting. <laughs> How's your new best friend, Christy McNichol? Uh, cold. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> no, I mean, she, I get the, I get the feeling that she was very, um, reserved. Mm-hmm. I talked to her just briefly and she was very nice, but I just got the feeling that she was, I, I don't want to say cold. She was just not exuberant. Um, she wasn't like, like Dinah Manoff was like, you, she's very type a and very, you know, she's got her, you know, she is just ready to just go. Let's go. Okay. Let's do this. Christy McNichol is kind of like, hi, hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> so I did talk to uh, Sam McMurray who you'll, Everybody here has seen in a million things. We talked a little bit about Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what I know him from, not the Big Lebowski. Or I mean, uh, <laughs> Raising Arizona, sorry. Um, yeah, it was, uh, talked to quite a few people actually. Made some new friends, drank some booze, and ate some pizza. <laughs> you know, nice. it how, was fun. How was it compared to last year? 
Um, it was the vibe was a lot different because last year was at Navy Pier, so there was lots of um, lot a lot a different vibe. But um, you know, everybody, it's that's the thing about Golden Con is if you go to like C two E two, which was the same weekend, which I kind of wish it hadn't been. Um, you know, there's always people there that don't want to be there. They're just like you know, like moms taking their kids, <laughs> or you know, they're there with their boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. And they're not really super into it, but then you get (laughs) to golden con and everybody wanted to be there. Everybody was so happy and in a good mood. And, you know, just, they are all there for their love of the one thing as opposed to, you know, like competing fandoms or stuff like that. So it was, it's that kind of, I wish everybody could go just to see the, like, this sounds so corny, but the purity of the love that people have for this show. And I mean, they had co- people dressed up. They had a disco on Saturday night called the uh, mother of a solid gold dancer disco, which is a line from the show. Um, just, and everybody was dressed up as just the wackiest, most like deep cut costumes. Um, I didn't go to that because I had to go to the far North side and get shit faced, but um <laughs> yeah it was just it was it's just there's just this wholesomeness about it that i don't see a lot of wholesome shit in my life but that's the love for the people have for this show it was just and yeah i mean the the fact that thousands of people have come to this two years in a row kind of tells you so mm-hmm. everybody should go to golden con next year if they do it so Awesome. Any upcoming cons that you have over the next couple months? Uh, actually, I'm going to be back in Chicago on the 22nd for the, uh, there's a Euro horror uh, mini marathon on the 22nd at the Davis theater in Chicago. There's um, I'm looking forward to seeing don't torture a duckling, which is a Lucio Fulci movie. Um, oh my. Yeah. It's they're just, <laughs> I mean, it's just the weirdest fucking movie, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. I don't have anything else planned until September, although I'm trying to get into a couple things. Uh, in September is Midwest Monster Fest in East Moline that everybody should come to. Uh, and we'll see if I can eke out enough money to get into Days of the Dead. So Awesome. We'll All see. right. We could have a we could have an everybody's a critic con. Hey, I'm for that. <laughs> we can get seven or eight people there, I'm sure. <laughs> <clears throat> you might make three fifty. <laughs> three dollars and fifty cents. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get on to our movies this week and we will start with Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, uh, co-directed by John Francis Daly and starring Chris Pine along with Michelle Rodriguez, uh, is basically it feels like it is like a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Like it, it captures, and I've never played myself, but I've listened to podcasts where people play Dungeons and Dragons because I've heard a couple of really cool people that I really like, you know, love playing that game, and they're very funny while they play it. And if you get the right storyteller, it's very entertaining. And this movie is like watching a bunch of really fun people play a really fun game of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you you got Hugh Grant, who is just 
on fire right now, just performance after performance after performance with this and and uh, the one he did with Jason Statham earlier. He's just absolutely killing it. Um, <laughs> the story goes, excuse me, Chris Pine uh, is a guy who he wasn't a criminal, but he decided to be a criminal just to get a, in a weak moment. It led to his wife being killed. Uh, he then uh, becomes a thief full time. Him and Michelle Rodriguez, so he can uh, he get she kind of helps him raise a daughter. But there's no there's no um, romantic thing going on between uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Chris Pine. They've got a very unique friendship, and it's kind of it's kind of wonderful that way that they can both you know just a male female friendship is all that you see on screen between them. Um, then they've got to team up with a couple other people to. Take down a thing. It doesn't matter. It's all about it. Just a really great Dungeons and Dragons storytelling. It's got the action scenes feel like somebody has rolled a, a pair of dice and, you know, whatever number you get, that's that's going to happen. You're going to fail this one. You're going to succeed in this one. Somebody might come close to dying. Somebody may die, uh, but you might be able to use magic to bring them back. It's like, again, if you if you love Dungeons and Dragons, this is the first time they've really captured the feel of it. And I think for me, I was just shocked because I was miserable going into this. It's an E1 movie. E1 makes some of the worst movies out there. They're a production company. They've got their name on a bunch of movies. They make terrible films for the most part. Uh, this one. And then, of course, in my head, one of the first things I ever got paid to write about was the 2000 Dungeons & Dragons with uh, Jeremy Irons. That was just absolutely miserable. Other than laughing at Jeremy Irons, just chewing every bit of scenery, that just that was a miserable experience. So I went into this with kind of a bad attitude, and I it, it totally turned me around. Not too long into it, uh, Chris Pine is just having a great time. But it, it's one of those movies again where every all the good good vibes are just rolling off the screen. Since they're having so much fun, we're having so much fun, and it, that just worked for me. Do you think Zach or Josh are dungeon masters and we could do a bonus episode where they <laughs> with their enthusiasm they could totally do it. <laughs> I mean I'm half kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming you didn't get a chance to go see it based on your weekend, Jeff. I no, I actually um was gonna try to see something while I was there, but I was exhausted. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I don't blame you. I didn't say anything either, so we're good. <laughs> Are you, either one of you ever into Dungeons and Dragons? I know you just said you never played it, Sean, but Jeff, you ever I, played it? I was no. kind of uh, Dungeons and Dragons adjacent. I never got to play, but I knew people who did. And it's sort of, uh, I I was told don't go near those people uh, by the the hierarchies of stupid high school, you know, just stay away from those people, even though they're over there having a great time. Like, why would I want to avoid having a great time? But also like felt subconscious about not being able to like, like wanting to, I, I was never into v- adventure movies. Like I was never a Lord of the Rings guy, uh, which is of course uh, very much, you know, Dungeons and, Dungeons and Dragons adjacent as well. I've never been that like into fantasy adventure like that. So uh, that's never really been my thing. Uh, but like, like I said, I have been listening to like uh, there's this uh, brilliant uh, YouTuber, Sarah, uh, Sarah Z. She, she's got a podcast where she and her friends play Dungeons and Dragons, and it's incredibly entertaining. And then uh, Brian Pesain, uh did a podcast where he and his friends were playing Dungeons and Dragons. Again, just so funny, just so yeah. funny while they're doing it. So I, I, I can appreciate it. I just I, I don't have that kind of 
I'm, I don't feel like I have the kind of imagination it takes to to build worlds the way they do. And uh, although there is a, there is a a group on YouTube that plays a wrestling like Dungeons and Dragons sort of thing where they come up with wrestling wrestling characters and then they use cards and dice to to decide like what what uh, moves work and mo- moves don't, <laughs> which I found very entertaining. And I thought maybe that's something I could do because I could definitely come up with wrestling stuff. Yeah, I never really. I mean, I remember when it was part of the Satanic Panic or whatever. Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons got lumped into that, so my parents were like, "Stay away from that." And then obviously the hierarchy, like you mentioned in high school. At the same time, I'm into bands like Rush and you know, which is Dungeons and Dragons adjacent as well. <laughs> and just never did it. I have nothing. I mean. If Josh were on the podcast and he was a big fan, I'd make fun of it, of course, but just because I wanted to make fun of Josh, not really Dungeons and Dragons. Because he's so good at taking it. Uh, yeah, I don't really have anything other than trying to make conversation about Dungeons and Dragons. Jeff, what about you? I mean, I know um, you said you're not interested, but did you have any interaction with it at all? Um, There was a couple uh, kids in high school when I was a freshman that were seniors that played it. Uh, and you know, they were, it was very much about their, like their in inner life to me. Um, now one of them is a movie producer, so I guess, you know, <laughs> Hey, um, but it never, we had a high school teacher who drilled into some of us in this communications class that I was forced to take that it was evil. It was the devil. She's also the one who played. Uh, this movie for every communications class about backwards masking and tried to scare the stairway to have it out of us. Um, But I was like, I was still in, I was just way into other shit. Um, By the time that all my friends were playing Dungeons and Dragons, I was playing Dungeons and Drag Queens. Um, (laughs) You know, I never, I just, a very different game. Oh, trust me. Those that, those stories are for Patreon. Um, <laughs> no, I was, you know, I was into music. I was into starting to get into horror movies and that kind of took over everything. So yeah, my third grade teacher tried to tell us about backwards masking. My dad had to go into the uh, parent teacher conference. Like, why are you telling my son to stare to heaven? Satanic. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, yeah, I don't really have any other Dungeons & Dragons stories. The only, thing, Sean. the only thing I know about backwards masking is that you can totally ruin your records doing that. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> that's a great way, to, great way to scratch some vinyl is to try and play it backwards. Well, I heard Jimmy Page once say, he goes, it's hard enough to get it right going forward. <laughs> Why would I want to Right. Really, truly, though, when you're when you're listening to a record backwards and this and somebody tells you what to listen for, nine out of ten times you're gonna hear it, just because you're listening for it. Right. All right. And how did Dungeons and Dragons do? Uh, pretty well. Yeah, they get made seventy million worldwide and about Seriously? thirty-eight million. Yeah. Wow. Nice. I've heard lots of good things about it from quite a few different people. So. 89% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, uh, again, another surprise. Uh, the original, the 2020, the 2000 version is a, is a zero, so. <laughs> if it's not, if if the 
Uh, movie theater is still standing tomorrow after our uh, supposed tornadoes. I might go see it. I haven't made up my mind yet. So I highly recommend it. It was fun. Go during the tornadoes. It might be, <laughs> might be a safe place. Uh, uh, those walls seem indestructible when you're there. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Luckily, I live in a garden apartment, so I can just go in the bathroom and nothing will hurt me. <laughs> the bathroom and the kitchen have no windows, so. All right. How about A Thousand and One? A Thousand and One uh, is directed by A.V. Rockwell and stars Tiana Taylor in the story of a woman who uh, she went to prison for a little while. And in that time, she was separated from her her child, uh, T. And then when she gets out of jail, she encounters him just kind of on the street. She's trying to find work. She's trying to get somebody to let her be a hairdresser. So she's kind of walking around just kind of offering her services to people because no one will hire her because she's a, you know, she just got out of jail. Uh, And she sees him across the street and she goes up to him and introduces herself and asks if he remembers who she is. And he kind of does. He kind of doesn't. He's very young. And we don't exactly know how long she was there. Uh, But the next day, she goes looking for him again and finds out that he's in the hospital, that uh, he'd been hurt in an accident at at his foster home. And so she goes to the hospital and she ends up just sort of leaving with him, whether she's supposed to or not, because he's just so sad. And they're going to send him to another new foster home, like the fifth one he's been to. So she's like, why doesn't he just come with me? So she just takes it. And they stay that way for a while. Uh, she introduces him to a man who will become kind of his father figure named Lucky, played by Robert Catlett. And Lucky's a very complicated character. He he wants to be with, with uh, Inez, uh, Tiana Taylor's character, but he's also kind of unwilling to be tied down. Uh, and what's amazing about Robert Catlett's performance is that you can see so much of who Lucky was as a child in the man that he is and how he became who he is a person who wants to be desperately wishes he could be the father that he never had but also like is still a guy who didn't have a father growing up and how that's affected him uh and it's created this cycle of life and that is the cycle that that they're all caught up in various different cycles all three of these characters uh t uh played by uh josiah cross is this amazingly sweet character he's so sensitive and so smart and you can sense that he grew up with so much like inner turmoil and so much like just complete lack of foundation uh that uh he's going to have that foundation torn away from him again as this story goes on and watching that happen is heartbreaking and and yet and kind of beautiful in a way but with how he processes it this movie's incredible. Uh, it definitely deserved to win at Sundance. A.V. Rockwell is a is a pretty uh, a pretty amazing doc, uh, director and uh, really just a very sensitive, empathetic, uh, smart movie. It's also about you know the gentrification of Har- of Harlem between you know, the late '90s and into in through Giuliani and Bloomberg uh, over that uh, time frame. Uh, and and the ways in which the insidious ways in which the outside world sort of snuck into Harlem and began stealing it uh, for for developers and and whatnot. Uh, it's not necessarily about that, but you can see that it, it's definitely like part of the landscape of the film, and they've really weaved that in there rather brilliantly. It's sort of a, 
as a sort of a reminder of how this movie is about people who don't have a strong foundation beneath them and how that foundation keeps getting undermined. That sounds fascinating. I don't really know <laughs> what questions to ask. You... <clears throat> so one Sundance, you said? Yeah, yeah. Best dramatic feature at Sundance, the uh, the top prize. And now it's much in, deserved. Innocent theaters now. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a first time a first time director and writer, and uh, uh, just delivers this incredibly sensitive, smart. It's kind of like it reminded me a little bit of Moonlight, like that level of quality. Um, but it also kind of reminded me of the Florida Project too, in a way, which is like another movie about uh, latchkey kids, uh, you know, just kind of running around without a particular foundation, uh, you know, getting into trouble and you know, just look looking forward to a very uncertain future. Uh, yeah, that that it's that kind of movie. It's a it's that it's that level of of brilliant and that level of smart. It's also a movie that's about. That part of society that that uh, capitalism tries to, would like you to ignore, because it's the dirt, dirt, the dirt, the dirty secret of capitalism that nobody wants to talk about is that somebody for capitalism to succeed, somebody has to suffer. There has to be a bottom group of people who must suffer so that everybody else can thrive. And we don't want to talk about that. We want to pretend that's not a thing. And movies like this are like, no, no, really, these people are suffering. We could do something about this. And and capitalism tells us not to. It tells us we, you know, we're told that uh, we're told don't ask for handouts. You, know, don't, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You take care of yourself in this life. Those who succeed. It's like, but all they need is a little, just a hand. Just extend a hand. You know, <laughs> it's all they need. Uh, and, and you're not unwilling to give that. This movie that hangs around end of the year, top ten, possibly. Definitely, Tiana Taylor is uh, unquestionably going to get an Academy Award nomination for this. She could win for this. Uh, A. V. Rockwell, uh, the same way, pr- could be in the at, the at the very least is going to be in the screenplay competition, if not Best Director. It'll hang out in the same way, kind of uh, that. Uh, oh gosh, what was it called? The the Best Picture winner from pre- the previous year before this one. About the deaf family. Oh, uh, Coda. Yes, this is Coda all over again. <laughs> We're all like, uh, what one? Because nobody remembers. <laughs> <laughs> we had that discussion, remember? Nobody yeah. remembers who won the year before. Yeah. All right. Anything you want to mention about that, Jeff, or you want to move on to the next movie? Uh, we can move on to the next movie that I didn't see. Uh, <laughs> All right. I might as well have just like done a bob and checked out for a while and <laughs> filled my Etsy orders or something. You know? I mean, that's kind of where I'm at too, though. I just <laughs> this, just this is like a Sean centric episode. <laughs> a good person. <laughs> I am a good person because I'm the only one who saw movies this week. Um, <laughs> a good person is uh, written and directed by Zach Braff and starring Florence Pugh as a woman named Allison who uh, is about to get married. She's got uh, a good job as a pharmaceutical salesperson. Uh, her soon-to-be husband, Nathan, is a sweet guy. And their entire lives are thrown, uh, blown apart when she's on 
the freeway with her soon-to-be sister-in-law and her husband, and they get in an accident. She's looking at her phone. Uh, a, uh, a hauler pulls out in front of him, and they hit it, and the two of them die. She survives. Uh, she ends up being prescribed OxyContin and becomes reliant upon it for pain, but then also reliant upon it to block out the you know the deep, dark emotions that are affecting her because she she's responsible for the death of two people that she cared about, and especially two people that her fiancé uh, was supposed to be her husband. Also, obviously, those are his family, and she's responsible for their death. So when she sees him, she feels pain, and so she leaves him. Uh, and she goes to live with her mother, Molly Shannon, and uh, un- she's kind of unwillingly, you know, uh, enabling her to just take Oxycontin and just knock herself out for months on end. Um, she finally does hit rock bottom after doing essentially meth with a couple of guys that she went to high school with who were complete losers. Uh, and that leads her to go to, to NAAA where she runs into Daniel Morgan Freeman, who is the father of her, uh, of Nathan, her, her fiance. Uh, he's an alcoholic, had been an alcoholic for years, was abusive towards Nathan, so he and Nathan aren't close. Obviously, he's had a lot of resentment towards Allison because he's, you know, he knows that she killed his daughter. Uh, and so there's tension there, but he welcomes her in anyway because he he recognizes himself and her. Uh, he recognizes you know, what addiction can do to people. Not that she was addicted the day she did it. She was sober. The day it happened, she just happened to be looking at her phone. But now she's an addict uh, because of it. And, you know, just two people recognizing each other's pain and showing each other empathy. And that's something that that Zach Braff does very well. It's the, it's the kind of story that he likes to tell. He told that story on Scrubs a few more than a few times, more than a few episodes. Uh, partial, there's some of that in Garden State. There's some of that in each of the movies that he's made. And uh, it's a solid theme. Um the, th- the problem is, that I don't know why he's gone from being a, a very distinctive director in Garden State to one who's more bland nowadays. Like, he, he still has some stylish elements, but what was dragging me down about this movie is that it's a little bit fat and it's a little bit uh, um, indistinct. Uh, it has moments where he'll show, like, the, ki- the guy who directed Garden State, but I think he's so set he's become so sensitive to that uh, to the criticism of garden state that it was just this you know overly stylized like indie movie that now he's become more mainstream or he's trying to make himself more mainstream and that's certainly like it affected the the movie he did previously with morgan freeman which was just an out and out old guy comedy which was just a miserable movie uh and uh, and now this movie kind of suffers from that sort of conventionalism as well. Unfortunately, it's it's still very good, and Florence P- Florence Pugh is incredible in it. Uh, she really gets to the heart of this character, and her pain is so visceral and so uh, so surface level. You can just you sense her why she is who she is and how she's ended up where she's ended up. And um, I've got I've been trying to get at the heart of what this movie is trying to say about addiction. Uh, it, it's certainly, it's complicated, I guess. <laughs> We're going to talk about a movie that's a little less complicated, but but just probably more interesting in a moment. But overall, this is a very, I think this is a good movie. It just, it comes up short of great because of the conventional elements and because it could have used just a couple of cuts here and there. 
Are you a Zach Braff fan, Jeff? I I don't. I mean, I'm not not a fan, but I you know I'm not like oh my god I gotta go see it because he directed it. I'm like oh my god I gotta go see it because Forrest Pugh's in it. Right. Yeah, I've never been. A, I don't. I like Garden State. Okay, never really watched Scrubs and absolutely hated some of his other movies. Uh, but I do. I think Florence Pugh can't do bad. Like she's good even when the movie's bad. It seems like. <laughs> Uh, He's good on Hot Ones, so. <laughs> she was on Hot Ones? Yeah. I'll have to watch that one. I Yeah, I think I think she's uh, she's one of the best there is. You know, she's one of the best there is working today in terms of uh, working actresses. There's, uh, there are a few that can match what she's what she's doing right now. She's on a she's on a different level. Um, as, but like I said about Zach Braff, uh, you know, Josh is a huge fan of of a couple of his couple of his movies, Garden State, and I believe the other one is uh, like Wish You Were Here or something like wish that. Wish you were wish I w- wish, wish I was I here. Were, yeah, something dumb like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I also hated, I, hated that movie. <laughs> I, I I liked it. I know. I liked it. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> that film was far more distinctive and, and interesting and uh you know, if, if you're gonna be if it's gonna be bad at least it's bad in an interesting way unlike you know the right i can't even remember that movie you made with morgan freeman before this one it was so bad but uh this movie isn't bad uh this is again it's it's a very uh thoughtful and it's got a lot of complications that i don't want to get into i don't want to mess anything up for anybody i want you to experience uh this mu- movie in a uh, the way i did in a way uh, there, there are a few things that you're going to learn as you watch this movie that will catch you off guard. And I don't when I like. It's not like I'm on Twitter bashing Zach Braff, and I'm one of the ones that are tra- tra- tricking him into making a more mi- mainstream movie. I'm not happy that he's. Kind of, <laughs> I'm just not a fan of his style as much. Like I like Garden of State, okay, but people love that movie, and yeah, but. It seemed a little Zoe Deschanel to me, so I didn't see it. <laughs> I hate Zoe Deschanel. I hate John Cusack, and it reminded me of some of his movies. Don't you feel like if they did a movie together, time and space would just fold in upon itself? I would be very. It would. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's I like think the you're right. sign of the nuclear annihilation is those two doing a movie together, directed by Zach Braff. <laughs> That would be rough. I definitely would not go see it. I would. And I might skip that week on the podcast. <laughs> Sean would still be stuck to the seat. <laughs> All right. Our undisputed classic is The Lost Weekend. 1945, directed by Billy Wilder and starring Ray Milland as an alcoholic. Uh, we meet uh, this character as he is uh, packing for a weekend away with his brother at a farm that's supposed to give him time to uh, dry out and stop drinking. Uh, But all he can think about is the bottle, which he's got one kind of hidden, hanging out of a window. And that's the first thing we see is this rope and a bottle tied to it, hanging out the window and him trying to come up with some way to get his brother to leave the room so he can get that bottle and hide it somewhere so he can make sure he takes it with him on this weekend. Uh, His his. Uh, girlfriend shows up and 
he convinces the brother and the girlfriend to go out together. So again, he can take advantage of that bottle and uh, take advantage of uh, trying to get more alcohol and more alcohol and more alcohol. Uh, his entire life is made possible by his brother, who has paid for him to you know be in New York City and live there and try and live his dream of becoming a writer. But he's failed every time. Uh, he thinks alcohol helps him write, but it hasn't helped him write the great American novel that he thinks he's going to write. Uh, and he's basically just a drunk. And much of the film is focused on him, uh, you know, the, the depths that he falls to in order to achieve his next drink, uh, whether it's begging, whether it's, you know, trying to steal from somebody in a restaurant, uh, you know, just lying in the street near, near death or suicidal or hawking his typewriter or his girlfriend's coat so he can get another, uh, another drink. Uh, it's very sad, but it's also like it's a movie that 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 uh, is not intended to be the overall statement of what alcoholism or addiction is. It's very specific to this character, but it's specific in a way that is very universal. There, there's a very negative reading you could have of this movie. Or like, why is everyone? Why are people working so hard to save such a mediocre white guy? Like, he's not, what is this guy's not particularly special. Uh, why are we wasting our time on him? And I think we're wasting our time on him. Not wasting. I don't think we are wasting our time on him. I think it's just Billy Wilder telling a story about being empathetic to somebody who needs empathy. Uh, he's a he's somebody who who's a failure, whose failure has created a shame spiral for him that uh, that he's lived in for the past however many years, and he's used alcohol to try and uh, dull the pain of uh, and. And that's very sad, but it's also wildly relatable. Like a lot of addiction can be traced back to very serious traumas, either in childhood or as an adult uh, that leads somebody to, you know, like Allison in, in that, in a good person, you know, she suffered a pretty significant trauma. She turned to a drug to try and, you know, take that negative, painful emotion away uh, for him. You know, his, his trauma is not necessarily trauma. As you think about trauma, it's not, physical pain. It's not something that he did. It's failure. He's dealing with being a genuine failure. And and the shame that comes with having to live off the, you know, the provenance of his brother, the shame of Helen looking at him and trying to make him be a person that he's not, because he doesn't see himself as a good person. And seeing and oftentimes if you don't like yourself, you and you look around and you see people who like you, you're like, what is wrong with you? Why would you like me? I suck. You know, that, that is deeply relatable. And Ray Moland, when he looks at uh, Jane Wyman in this movie, it's like, why could you, why do you possibly even care about me? Uh, and that, that's wildly relatable. But the idea that, that this is just about uh, failure and shame for him, that is very universal. Like, there's a lot of people out there who feel like a failure, who feel, the sh feel ashamed of being a failure. Who feel ashamed that they have to, you know, borrow money from people or, or, you know, beg for a ride somewhere, and and it just feels sh shameful at times. And so it becomes very relatable. And the idea that that you would turn to something like alcohol or drugs to take that feeling away and help you pretend that those negative things aren't true for a little while, that makes sense. And that can be the root of addiction for a lot of people. And so that's what makes this movie so incredibly universal and valuable. 
Yeah, what I, I mean, that's what I liked about it is the it's so easy when you make movies about addiction or to make the movies about the addiction and not the person, uh, and you fall down the stereotypes and the tropes that are uh, just you're used to seeing, and by making it about this person and their their struggle it gives it more depth than just your everyday drunk or your everyday addict it helps you understand the addiction better and like you said empathize with it uh without i I don't know some people don't want to have sympathy for someone who's making mistakes but there's i don't know there's always more to it than what we see from surface levels and i just i don't know i think this movie did a good job of Maybe it's just because it's older and I was expecting it to be more uh, dated than it was. But I, I just I found myself engaged and really liked the story it was telling and just really started following along with these characters a lot more than I thought I would. Jeff? I, I just actually just watched it tonight. Um, I... I've been watching a couple older movies on the 1001 movies you should see before you die list. Um, And this is on there, but I thought about the last one I watched before I went out of town was bringing up baby. And I absolutely fucking hated that movie. I just thought it was everybody in it was so shrill and unlikable. And it was that, you know, that, that, 1930s cadence that everybody talked with in old movies and they did that a lot and i expected this one to be that way honestly it was so much better yeah (laughs) um you know i i really didn't know anything about jane wyman except for falcon crest and ronald reagan Mm -hmm. um she was exquisite and so good in it you know like i i just expected her to be a pretty face because she was so beautiful in the movie but she really had the the whole she was the most sympathetic character to me um you know her her empathy towards him at when you know when he has the gun and everything she's willing to just let him get drunk rather than see him die and she was who i really you know i i was really excited to see what she was going to do in the movie and how she was going to play into it. Um, I like the flashbacks where if you didn't have the flashbacks, it would have been like, Oh, he's suddenly a drunk, but you know, going back and explaining um, kind of the arc of his alcoholism was really useful. Um, I don't know what I expected exactly. Uh, I was thinking more like leaving Las Vegas, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, it was, the you know the portrait of him as an alcoholic was done just so well that i i i didn't really know him from from much except the man with the x-ray eyes much later hmm. um so to see ray Milland playing this ultimately sympathetic but pathetic yeah emph- emphasis on the pathetic mm-hmm. character uh was really eye-opening x-ray eye-opening um <laughs> yeah it was just I, I really enjoyed it and i didn't expect to so it's it's it, i thought early on i was going to struggle a little bit with it because at times 
it remind his performance reminded me of the way modern horror plays demonic possession. Like he has no control. Like alcohol is completely in charge. Like the demon that has taken him over and is controlling his all, all of his actions. And at times he goes kind of kind of bug eyed and 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 you know, you know swinging his eyes back and forth. And you know, especially when he starts to see things crawling out of the walls. Uh, but but it, it it it's the quieter moments that that uh, really pull it back. And, you know, like and that desperate moment where he steals that purse just. It was heartbreaking yeah. to watch. It was heartbreaking to watch that, and and when they all sing the song, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that was that was rough. That was rough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. Every time we go into these older movies, part of me dreads it as homework, or just especially this, thinking it was going to be more cheesy, and like they wouldn't be able to pull off the addiction, like. Leaving Las Vegas, something like that, and it's always fun to be surprised and just kind of won over without even. I mean, I hate bringing that to these movies all the time, but it is sometimes it can seem like homework. But it, and on occasion it is. But uh, time and time again, I it's shocking how good these movies are and how well they hold up. And I, I don't know. It's I, I wish more movies were like this today. Do you know that um, the book that this was based on, the reason for his alcoholism was because he was a closet case? No, I was but not they aware couldn't, of that. They couldn't put that in the movie. Um, if you watch, I would love to do an episode about the celluloid closet. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. Uh, I've seen some, some of it. Yeah, it's there's a book, and then they made it into a movie after Vito Russo died. Uh, it's narrated by Lily Tomlin, and they do talk about this in the book and the movie that it was originally his character was a repressed homosexual and that's where the source of his drinking came, which is problematic in itself, but you know, can't do that with a code. Mm-hmm. So there again, uh, you know, one of the root things that we don't talk about when we talk about addiction is shame. Uh, is that, that uh, after a while you're ashamed of being addicted but you know, it's also the shame that leads you there, like the thing that you're ashamed of, whatever that is, that society tells you you should feel bad about. You turn to a drug or you turn to alcohol to to deal with that. Or, you know, I'm I'm addicted to food. I got a food addiction. It's a very serious thing. I could I could I could eat entire pizzas every day, uh, and Same. I it's it's a struggle to not do that. I uh, whenever I have an an emotional issue. It's. I turn to food. I I find a, a food that that I want, and I I consume it in in large quantities, and I uh, it's bad. It's a bad thing. Uh, thankfully, I've I've kind of got it under control at the moment, but it could go out of control at any moment. Absolutely, I definitely struggle with that as well. Anything else on the last weekend before we move on to nineteen ninety three? You know, there's a, you, there's a there's a thing where you could uh, like I said, there's an uncharitable reading of this where like, and it gets into a lot of people's it delves into a lot of people's pain where like you feel like well what does this what does this guy have to feel bad about I mean he's got a loving girlfriend he's got a a brother who is willingly taking care of him all this time 
Uh, he's got nothing but opportunities as a you know straight white guy in New York City in the 40s. Like, what has he got to feel bad about? And I went in with that kind of attitude a little bit. I kind of started taking on that tact early on. And the way that Billy Wilder talks you around that and carries you around that idea to to bring you around to his idea of being empathetic towards this character is really it's an incredible piece of direction. And he doesn't get enough credit for for how Billy Wilder doesn't get enough credit for how smart he is and how he puts this stuff together. Anything else, Jeff? Uh, if you have the choice between this and bringing a baby, watch this twice. <laughs> All right, and My I... mom would be very mad at you. <laughs> oh, I, you know what? I would tell her to suck an egg because I hated that movie. And then she'd just laugh at me and go, oh, Jeff. <laughs> 1993, we had The Adventures of Huck Finn, Cop and a Half, Jack the Bear, and Crush. You know, Cop and a Half is just a miserable movie. <laughs> it's so bad. But the guy, the kid who's the star of that, though, uh, his last name is Golden, I believe. He's just on Twitter. If you've ever seen him, he's the sweetest guy. He is. I've interacted with him a couple of times on Twitter, and he's just the nicest guy. And he tells stories about being in this movie and how you know meant a lot to him and meant a lot to his career and. Uh, he, he, you know, Burt, Burt Reynolds was wonderful to him and that kind of stuff. And it was just, he's just so wholesome uh, that it makes me not hate this movie, even as I think it's not a great movie at all. It's really hard to watch at times, but uh, he's such a wonderful guy. And I'm, I'm 30 years of, of that movie. Good for him. You know, I, I'm really happy for him as a person because he's come off, come out so, so well as an adult. How did you end up interacting with this guy? I was I shared a, something from from a YouTuber who did uh, a review of Cop and a Half that was you know, a comedy review, and, and he was like, "Isn't it great?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you like this?" I'm like, "Yeah, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> it's very funny." And he, yeah, just that he had such a great sense of humor about it, uh, and took it so well. And he interacted with the creator as well. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was wonderful. Interesting. Uh, the 93 podcast this week is all about The Crush, starring Alicia Silverstone and Carrie Elwes. Uh, Carrie Elwes, uh, ba- the director of this movie, based this on a, on a claims to have based this on a true story in which he was like uh, a, a, accused a 16 year old of being obsessed with obsessed with him, and uh, it's 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 weird. Because like he's like in the movie he's like framing Alicia Silverstone still lo- so lovingly and she's a child in the movie and it's like how are you making the case that the girl was obsessed with you <laughs> you know when you're when you're spending your time so obsessed with Alicia Silverstone but the weird story about this movie is that the director who comes off as a pretty big creep in the way he directs Alicia Silverstone had to be the guy who was the hero. When the studio executive says, well, why can't we see her tits? <laughs> well, he had to tell the studio executive, well, she's a child, so yeah, we can't show that. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Oh, man. And yet another very, very sweaty movie. Very sweaty. 
as all 90s movies are was this obviously it's before clueless was it before she was the aerosmith girl or right around the same time i believe it was right before that yeah she was uh this was her first film for sure uh the first thing that she came to prominence with i'm not sure when the aerosmith videos hit it must have been after this i think so because she was only she was only 16 when she made this and she's playing a 14 year old i think in the movie it's super creepy, but for weird detail, for some reason, so Red Foreman, uh, the actor, Kurtwood Smith, he's in this movie. He plays her father in the movie. He has an entire, like, full-size carnival carousel in their attic that he built himself. And the movie, like, explains that he did this for her when she was a child, but also shows him still working on it. So apparently he just... At one point, it just became so big he couldn't get it down. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Why the fuck is this in this movie? <laughs> and it's just, it's just there so they can set up a scene later where I guess that she's like tied somebody to the to the carousel and is about to kill them or something. It makes for a weird place, I guess, to have an ending. I guess, but it's such a weird, unnecessary detail that it almost makes me believe the director when he says that he this this really happened to him. <laughs> Like, he actually met a guy who had a carousel in his attic. But why I don't believe him? Why I have a hard time believing him? And (laughs) Why? I mean, I... (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. There's there's a story to this. He had to change this entire movie to change the name of the main character because he got sued by a woman named Darian who claims that she was the one that that was, you know, he, he was basing the story on her. And accusing this Darian woman of being obsessed with him. And then he wrote the movie about her. And so she sued him. And so they had to redub the entire movie to change her name to Adrian. So anytime somebody says the name Adrian in the movie, it's not the actor. It's not Carrie Elwood. uh, Carrie Elwes. It's not anybody else in the movie saying her name. It's redubbed actors they had to hire to do it because they couldn't afford to bring back the actors to actually do the redub. So that's funny. But also, like, he did get sued by somebody who claims that the story was based off of them. But the reason that. (laughs) But the reason I don't believe it is because this movie came out less than uh, just a year after the Amy Fisher thing, which is clearly what this is fucking based on. (laughs) Like, that's everything that everyone was talking about. So, of course, you made a movie about it. Of course you did. All right. What is Jack the Bear about? Name sounds familiar, but I can't remember. It's a Danny DeVito is a kind of a weird father. Uh, It's about gay bears. (laughs) I don't. I don't quite remember. I just have a vague memory of like him being a dad who is very adventurous, and the kids loved him, but he was also like I don't know, troubled, and the kids were going to get taken away or something. It's weird. All right. Next week, we got Air, Mario Brothers, Paint, and Easter. Our classic is, how do you pronounce that? Basquiat? Basquiat. 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 Oh, boy, I'm going to have stories for you about the actual Jean-Michel Basquiat next week. So Good. That's why I picked it. <laughs> 93 we have indecent proposal the sandlot bodies rest in motion and sidekicks what are you guys watching for the 
93 pod. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's a decent proposal, of course. Uh, you know, th- we we put MJ through so much on this show. <laughs> we couldn't resist putting them through this as well. <laughs> and decent proposal for those who don't remember is a movie about a couple who goes to Las Vegas played by Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore, who uh, they meet a rich guy played by Robert Redford, who offers them $1 million if they'll let Demi Moore sleep with him one night. Uh, it's set in Las Vegas, so you know it's going to be super sweaty, which is just the 90s trope is is sweat. And uh, it's, I I can't wait to see just how how weird this movie is 30 years later. I'm, I I don't know. I got a weird feeling about this one, just but I get a weird feeling about all the '93 movies. Now they're also very, very strange. Uh, I didn't remember. Like I feel like I've repressed all of 1993 somehow, like because I didn't know it was all this bad. <laughs> we got Schindler's List later on. We're it's going to come around. <laughs> I am willing to bet, and I have not seen this movie, but I'm willing to bet it's pretty sweaty. Oh, wait, guarantee. You've never seen a decent proposal? I never have. I did wow. not like Woody Harrelson or Demi Moore or Robert Redford then, so hmm. it's a were haul you, for me. But but were you <laughs> like you were were you following the whole Zeitgeist around it because it was like the biggest thing at the moment? Oh, yeah. I again, what I I mean, every time we talk about the 93 movies, I got to like say that was my that was the time I was devouring premier magazine you know i was graduating from college i actually just had graduated from college and i oh god that's how old i am fuck um you know that was like all i did was sit around and i i was in art school i didn't have anything to do so i would just sit around and read premier magazine and go to the movies so and it's kind of a movie you can you've seen without seeing <laughs> it's that yeah well yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen them, you know, like the memes and stuff from back then where, you know, the, all the, the videos that were like on MTV where they were talking about it and how, oh, what would you do? Would you do it for a million dollars? And yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even now he's like 80 what? And he, he wants to stick his dick in me for a million dollars. Hey, have at it, grandpa, if you can get it up. Did I just kill the show? <laughs> oh God, we're gonna get. <laughs> yeah, that's next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next week I'm gonna get my. I'm gonna get. <laughs> I'm gonna have sex with Robert Redford for the podcast. <laughs> we're gonna see. We're gonna see him sun dance on. Never mind. I'm not gonna. <laughs> All right, let's play a flick chart. Do we, <laughs> do we want to run anything through or just play randomly? Uh, what do you think? Do you want to do Lost Weekend? or? Yeah, we could do that. Also, did you know that um, the guy who wrote it, whose name escapes me right now, uh, the, the fact that it's called The Lost Weekend was because of a typo? Hmm. It's supposed to be the last weekend. Oh. Because he was going to kill himself. Hmm. So. William Brackett. Yeah. The Lost Weekend Sucker Punch. Lost Weekend. Lost Weekend. The Lost Weekend, the Brady Bunch movie. 
last weekend. Oh, sure, Jan. Um, yeah, go ahead. Last weekend. Although the Brady Bunch movie is great. I'm the new Jan Brady. Last weekend, Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. Yeah. The last weekend, Amadeus. Amadeus. I've never seen Amadeus. Oh, it's a it's a fantastic movie. I know what it is. I've just I've just never seen it. Lost weekend, Poltergeist. Lost weekend, Poltergeist. Poltergeist. And I said, here's what here's I'm going to explain myself while you're thinking about it because oh, you can go explain Um, yourself. I can re. I, I will probably not watch The Lost Weekend again for several years. I can watch Poltergeist once a year at least. It's a comfort movie for me, so that's why I picked it. The Lost Weekend, Beetlejuice. The Lost, Lost Weekend. Weekend. I don't like Beetlejuice all that much. I did until we watched it again for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> The Lost Weekend, Black Snake Moan. Lost Weekend. Yeah, Lost Weekend. That's a sweaty movie, too. The Lost Weekend, When Harry Met Sally. Lost Weekend. Can you imagine The Lost Weekend starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, though? Yes. <laughs> the Lost Weekend. <laughs> the Lost Weekend, Half-Baked. The Lost oh. Weekend. The Lost Weekend and don't ever watch fucking Half Baked. <laughs> fucking Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer killed yeah. me now. Awful, but I, I do. I do. It is still one of my favorite scenes, though. When the there's a guy he's working at a he's working at a fast food place and he's just he's quitting his job. And he's just like fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you. <laughs> That's what I think of that all the time. Anytime I think about quitting my job. <laughs> Same. <laughs> the Lost Weekend, Predator. Lost Weekend. Lost Weekend's a better movie, but Predator is more watch- rewatchable. So, The Lost Weekend. <laughs> I agree. The Lost Weekend, Annihilation. Annihilation. Oh, yeah. Annihilation. So good. Absolutely. 507 between Hard Candy and Predator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these rankings are weird. (laughs) Wait a minute. Half-Baked is up above Stand By Me? I don't know. What the fuck, guys? (laughs) I don't remember ever picking Half-Baked ever. I mean, not that... I I mean, we've done millions of these. It's such a throwaway movie that I don't... (laughs) It could have got, it could have come up against a Gerard Butler movie, and then I would have had to vote for it. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else you guys want to do before we call the show? Want to well, just do some regular flick chart? Sure. Vicky Cristina Barcelona Jr. Vicky Cristina Barcelona. BCB. Agreed. If only that movie had a director, it would probably be amazing. No yeah, problem. it directed itself. It's so weird. I know, right? The pirate. He sounded like Megan. <laughs> the pirate fairy or seven pounds? Never heard of the pirate fairy. Yeah, is that Jack Sparrow? <laughs> Hi. 
American Gangster, seven pounds. American, American Gangster. The English Patient, Sky High. Sky High. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, love, I love Sky High. It is one of the most... I, I've seen that movie way too many times for my age. Equal parts liking Sky High and hating the English Patient. Yeah. Limitless rock and roller. Rock and roller. Limitless. Give a shit. (laughs) You've never seen either of those movies? Either that or I don't remember either of those movies. One or the other. Hey, it's Cop and a Half! (laughs) Cop and a Half or the Friday the 13th remake. Cop and a Cop half. And a half. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that remake. Oh my god. Absolutely. Not only one of the worst remakes ever, but one of the worst theater experiences of my adult life. <laughs> and that was the easiest remake to do. Just you I don't know. They could uh, just They tried to cram the first four movies into one movie and it did not work. Um, the cast was all models who were pretty terrible and noxious, obnoxious, so totally obnoxious. And these two women brought their toddlers to the movie who walked around and it was a midnight movie, midnight premiere downtown (laughs) Chicago. And these bitches brought like three, three year olds. God, I feel bad bringing my 11-year-old when he cries the whole time. <laughs> Horrible Bosses, Star Trek Generations. Horrible Bosses. Yeah, I've never seen Generations. I'm not a Star Trek person, so but I did like Horrible Bosses. So. Yeah. Kung Pao, Enter the Fist, Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Dead Alive. Agreed. Crocodile Dundee, The Fugitive. The Fugitive. Notorious Hudson Hawk. Notorious. <laughs> that could be a that could be a line though. Notorious Hudson Hawk. It's a line in premiere. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween two, home alone. Home alone. Halloween two. Yeah. I'll go Halloween two. Yes. Wow. Thanks, Bob. I like the Halloweens a little bit. D2, The Mighty Ducks, Bridget Jones' Diary. Bridget Jones' Diary. Yeah. Quantum of Solace, The Man. Oh, Quantum of Solace. Oh, God. Oh, God, no. Neither. Neither movie. They suck. You said, Burn them both. You said Quantum of Solace. I did not. I did not. <laughs> I did not. I said neither. I don't like James Bond, so I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> So you picked up. Oh, you pussed. Uh, I haven't seen either one of them. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Fair do- enough. Doodlebug Annie. Never heard of Doodlebug. I've never heard of it. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones Annie. Attack of the Clones. Yeah, the worst Star Wars movie is better than Annie. Sorry, Carol Agreed. Burnett. I'll go Agreed. With, I'll go with Annie. <laughs> <laughs> Glory, the general's daughter. The general's daughter. I I've never seen Glory. I, so, do you actually like the general's daughter, or is it just the? 
I like I like how how shitty the general's okay. daughter is. It's very entertainingly shitty. I've only seen it the one time where I absolutely hated it. But oh, I, it's a miserably bad movie, but it's bad in the best kind of ways. And glory is good in the worst kind of ways. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a prestige movie. <laughs> but not quite and prestigious it, and enough. It, <laughs> and it lets yeah. you know it. Yeah, mm. that's why I said it the way I said it. Mm-hmm. Accidental love, liar, liar. Never heard of accidental yeah. love, I don't think. No, I don't, neither. don't recognize it. Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> and Jessica Biel. The Village, Liar Liar. Oh, wait, wait. That's that yeah, uh, uh, That's that one. That, no, no, no. I just, I, J- Russell, the director, they took that one away from him, and then they, he like oh. for, released it four years later. And it was David O. Russell? Yeah. And it was I, really I might bad, have, right? I might have seen it. It was bad, yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. The Village, Liar Liar. Liar Liar. I'm going to defend... M. Night Shyamalan, I liked The Village. I liked The Village, I, too. I, I got what it was. I don't, I'm not a big Jim Carrey fan. so I, I, guessed, got, I guessed what happened in The Village so early on that I just it's, I stopped caring. I did, too, but I liked everybody in it, so fuck you, Sean. Uh, <laughs> I like both of them, though. That's the problem. Uh, I'll just go to The Village because it never wins. And now I got an ally that actually likes that. <laughs> Life of Pi, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, nineteen ninety four. Life of Pi. Life of Pi. Escape from L.A. The Kingdom. The Kingdom. Uh, Escape from L.A. I hate I Escape I s- from L.A., but my brother tells me I need to go back and watch it because it's actually very good. I don't believe it <laughs> could possibly be true. But. <laughs> I know I, I saw The like, Kingdom. I don't remember uh, anything about it, though. The, it's not great, but it's not. It's like serviceable action, whereas I think a- Escape from L.A. is kind of cringy. Like the basketball scene and the surfing stuff. Uh, yeah. I'll go for yeah. the cringiness. I'll go Escape from L.A. Speaking of Kurt Russell, Overboard or Hoosiers? God, uh, I mean, okay. Oh, I'm going to say Overboard because I saw it a couple times in the theater when I was a kid because my uncle just decided he didn't know what to do with us when my aunt was gone. So he just took us to the movies and sat us in the theater and left. Um, so I saw that movie two weekends in a row. <laughs> However... I understand now how it's pretty rapey and problematic, but I still like it. And I don't care about basketball movies, so fuck you, Gene Hackman. Suck my dick. <laughs> Sorry, was that harsh? I don't know. <laughs> a little <Yeah>. bit. For <laughs> a movie you've never seen, yeah. That's a little weird. I didn't say I didn't see it. I just said I, <laughs> oh, okay. I, said I, I didn't like basketball movies. So I only <laughs> like... So yeah, fuck you, Gene, Gene Hackman. <laughs> What are you taking, nope. Sean? What do you think, Bob? What do you What do you choose? I don't. Well, I'm choosing I overboard. Feel free. Sean's trying, to, <laughs> Sean's trying to think of a way to kick me off the show mid show. No, no, no. I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any love for Hoosiers. I don't okay. have any love for Hoosiers. I don't care. I truly did not care. Like I could not <laughs> okay. bring myself to give a damn about either of those movies. Well, okay. I remember you didn't like Overboard though, because Josh was yeah. a big fan of it and. I mean, Goldie Hawn's butt's kind of my first introduction to nudity. <laughs> uh, 
Ernest goes to jail. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Harry, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes, I'm going to say that, although I do think that, what's this, Jim Varney looks mm-hmm. like dorky John Cena. So, <laughs> did you guys hear that they're, they're, they're uh, talking about redoing, the rebooting Harry Potter as an HBO series? I I hadn't heard. I hope not. They can um, Avada Kedavra the fuck out of that one right now. <laughs> I just want to throw a shout out to uh, Nathan Raven, the uh, the brilliant critic uh, on his website and his Substack. He did he did a deep dive on all of the Ernest movies. That is actually really interesting. Like fourteen thousand words on all of the Ernest movies, and it's really really good. So if you love reading about movies, check that out. And I don't really care about the Ernest movies, really. I don't at all. I just think that I would love to see him, like, be doing them again. You know, I wish he was alive to say, you know what, Ernest reboot. Why not? Mm. Yeah. Spider- oh, shit, this one's hard. Spider-Man No Way Home, The Fly. See, the thing the about Spider- The Fly for me is that I can't watch it. It's too gross to me. I get sick when I watch it. So I can't even really look at the movie and decide if it's any good because I get so grossed out by, by the, like the body horror, which is very effective. I mean, it's incredibly effective, effective, but it's so effective that it, it became, it goes around and becomes repellent to me. So I can't, I can't watch the fly after I'll never watch it again. If I can avoid it. The fly. Um, I'm going with Spider-Man. The scene where she's like having the dream where she's having the baby and, Instead of a baby, they pull out a giant pulsating maggot. Oh, perfect. I'm just talking about the stuff like him peeling the stuff off of his. I that just from like a from a personal perspective, like it's just too much for me. This one's really hard. Is this the Spider Man with all the other Spider Mans? Yeah, that was pretty cool, but. I uh, I haven't really watched The Fly since we fell back in love with Cronenberg, so I kind of want to do that before I just saw it. I will not be watching it again. <laughs> you, you feel free, but I'm not going to watch it. I'm, we'll watch it and talk about it. I have the box set of all the Fly movies, so I kind of, uh, I've been saving it for that. So, um, I will say because I haven't seen it in a long, long time, probably 20 some years, I will say Spider-Man because I don't know how well the fly will hold up. Yeah. Now you see me pitch black. Pitch black. Yeah. yeah, Pitch black. Yeah. I can go with that. I like pitch black. Um, I I also like the now you see me movies. I think they're kind of a, a cheap thrill. I'll go now you see me. I do not like pitch black. Dark man, hot shots. Hot shots. Ah, I liked Dark Man and I haven't seen it in a long time, but I just bought the Blu-ray set with all of them. I'm gonna say Dark Man, just you can prove me we'll, if I watch it and I hate it, I'll tell you and we can re-rank it, but I'm gonna say <laughs> Dark Man. I'm gonna go hot shots because I watched it recently when it turned thirty and I thought it was kind of Dick Tracy-ish. Uh, Finding Neverland, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Finding Neverland. Long Kiss Goodnight. That's Finding Neverland for me. 
the Broken Hearts Comedy Club, a romantic comedy? No, the Broken Hearts Club. Oh, it's a uh, it's a movie about a bunch of gay friends. Zach Braff's in it. Um, I've actually not seen it myself. Oh, if you guys want to watch it, I've got it. Um, I have to check and see if the uh, Blu-ray still plays. But Billy Porter's in it. Dean Kane plays a like a man whore. Um, Andrew Keegan is in it before he started a cult. <laughs> Uh, John Mahoney plays the elder gay, which I, I haven't seen this movie in so long. I'll probably just, you know, relate to him now more than anybody else. But I, mean, I imagine Dean Cain tried to disown this movie, right? He's a hardcore right wing weirdo. He's he's a hardcore right wing, right? Whatever. Weirdo. <laughs> um, not as bad as Scott Bayo, but he's still pretty bad. Like uh, people in Hollywood still like don't hate him the way they hate Scott Bayo. <laughs> they don't make sub like, oh, Dean Kane is working at Subway, like they say about Scott Bayo. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny though. Uh the movie's pretty good. It's you know, it's got some pathos in it. It's got some sass and Billy Porter is Billy Porter before he was Billy Porter. Is it better than so fame? I'm um, aside from the Coco, no Coco, please don't do it. Don't do it. Coco. I'm going to say the broken hearts club. Swinger school of rock school of rock. Yeah, absolutely. Again, swingers just does not hold up for me. The 10 commandments bridge of spies bridge of spies. Yeah. Sorry, Sean's mom, but I'm going to say bridge of spies. <laughs> She loved the Ten Commandments. I remember her talking Watched about it, it one night. Every Easter. Oh every my Easter god! That fucking movie. Oh, Halloween yes. Three season of the Witch, Treasure Island. I've never seen Treasure Island. Halloween Three, Justice for Halloween Three. Fine. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Sean, Sean, you shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> Have when's the last time you watched Halloween Three? We what I wrote about it, it <laughs> yeah, it's great. We I will have no Halloween three slander on the timeline. <laughs> There's something about Mary Starsky and Hutch. There's something about Mary, but Starsky yeah. and Hutch is actually pretty funny. Agreed. Yo Jimbo Sling Blade. Yo Jimbo. Well, I guess I'm gonna have to go with Yo Jimbo. <laughs> I've never seen Sling Blade, but Yo Jimbo is really good. It's like wrongly accused Forrest Gump. <laughs> King Kong 2005 to die for. To oh, die for. I really, really like the, uh, the 2005 King Kong, but to die for is so good. I'll take that. Yeah. Primer Saturday Night Fever. Is it a movie about paint? <laughs> now it's Aronofsky's uh, uh, first film, I believe, isn't it? Oh, I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. Gone Baby Gone, Saturday Night Fever. Gone Baby Gone. Oh, fuck. Objectively, it's a better movie, but Saturday Night Fever. I guess we'll go with Gone Baby Gone. I like Saturday Night Fever, though. I agree. A Night in the Show. I've not seen that one. Never seen it. 
The Wolverine or Pretty Woman? (laughs) I know what Sean's going to pick. Fishing with Gandhi. (laughs) That's how Sean ends the show. (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you guys next week. Sounds good. See ya.